Welcome to Juilliard's Everything Arts Related in and Around Austin. Today, I'm sharing my incredible conversation with Jennifer Weir, the star and producer of Finding Her Beat, which premieres November 3rd at the Sound Unseen Film Festival here in Austin. Jennifer is going to introduce you to the experience of taiko drumming. And by the time we're done, you're going to say, how did I not already know about this? So, Jennifer, we're going to talk about the film. Yeah which is Finding Her Beat. But first, I want to learn all about you. Can you take a couple of minutes and, you know, share your background, where you grew up, what you wanted to be, and bring us, you know, through your journey to present day, if you would, please. Oh, gosh, seven hours later. No, um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm a Korean adoptee, and I grew up in Minot, North Dakota. And, you know, I, I actually got a, a bite for, for theater. And so I was a theater nerd and I went to college for theater and I was hoping to, then I moved to Minneapolis after college, hoping to, you know, start a career as an actor. And uh, first off, I got involved with a company called Theater Moo, which is an Asian American theater company here in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. And through that experience of getting cast in shows and meeting different um, artists and creators, I kind of, uh, I would say I discovered my Asian identity, which I wasn't realizing that I was missing and which was kind of a bit of a surprise for me. So in the early, in my early twenties, I would say I went through a lot of um, discovery, discovery about what it means to be a Korean adoptee, to be an Asian American, discovery about what it means to be queer, um, all of those things kind of, you know, as people do in their 20s and kind of found myself. But I would say I discovered myself through the arts because it's really the people who I met through Theater Moo um, who really influenced me because they were from, you know, sort of a wide Asian diaspora, um, very different backgrounds, a huge diversity, and they're all wanting to be artists and you know, it's sort of where I kind of met my people, I guess. And um, it's through that theater experience that I found taiko drumming. And, you know, up until that point, I'd never heard of taiko drumming. I had no idea what it was. But our director, Rick Shiomi, at the time, um, brought out a drum because he was using it in a play. And then he gave a quick demonstration on it, like, you know, maybe a minute or so on one drum. And um, I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And I was like, all right, you know, teach us. Teach us how to do that. And he sort of reluctantly agreed because he knew it'd be a big effort. And he thought, you know, these lazy, lazy actors, they'll, they'll think it's fun for a little while and move <laughs> on. Um, but it ended up, you know, really taking a hold and growing sort of my relationship with it grew and grew. So um, it kind of took over my life in some ways and in the most wonderful ways, I would say. So I kind of moved from being a, a, a student of Tycho to a performer eventually an artist where I realized like, wow, I, in fact, I think I can express myself better through taiko drumming than I can through acting. Um, and so it kind of uh, started edging out theater for my time and my interest. And yeah, I just kind of kept growing and growing with it. And now like, you know, 25 years later, I'm still doing it, running a nonprofit organization, directing the company, and it's, it's a huge part of my life. Wow, that is so interesting. You know, drumming is really, I think, primal. It's like central to our core. And if we just think mm -hmm. about the music that we listen to and love, 
you know, you can't have a band without a drummer. But if you've got a drummer, you don't really need the rest of the band. You know, you can do a lot just with the ability to be able to drum. And so, you know, I think you're the way that you're describing this and how it's become sort of personified in your life is really fascinating. And I think it's something that we subconsciously feel, you know, on a lot of different levels. What is a taiko drum? A taiko drum, well, taiko is a Japanese word for drum. So in essentially, essentially we're saying drum drum, but it's uh, in the style of the Japanese traditional drums, which are larger, they're, they're more like the size of wine barrels. Traditionally in Japan, they're made from one piece of wood, but in, um, in North America, most of the um, designs are wine barrel, where there's like many staves to make up the um, the body of, of the drum. And so the style of drumming where you use your whole body, and that's what I love about it in that it's almost like this combination of martial arts and dance and music all mixed up together. Plus there's this wonderful element of culture in it. And, you know, then you have like this sort of team sports camaraderie and athleticism involved. And so it's really this interesting mix of like, you know, community building and healing and spiritual and challenging and artistic and performance and all of these in one um, art form. And so I just, you know, I fell in love with it. And I particularly loved the visual aspect of it. Because again, like I said, you use your whole body. So, you know, as you're striking the drum, it's not just with your arm or your wrist. It's, it's with your whole body and you're drawing energy from the earth and from the sky and you're sending it into this giant drum. And then when it, when it, you know, when you have a group of people playing, like the audience feels it rattle their chest. And sometimes we like knock down like dust and dirt from the ceiling wow. <laughs> um, because the, the vibrations are so big, you know. Um, so it's just this powerful, dynamic um, thing that, you know, I would say, you know, especially for me being an Asian American woman, like finding something that's both connected to my cultural identity but allows me to be powerful and loud and take up space. Mm. It's, it's just like the sweet spot, you know, mm-hmm. it's so fun. <laughs> yeah. And I love what you're saying about taking up space. I think every woman everywhere is trying to figure out like how she can take up her space. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Right. And so this is just like, this sounds like a real, a real powerful way to like to be in your body and to be in the moment. It sounds like it's hard to learn. Like you talk about using your whole body. It sounds like it's a it's a practice maybe more than like you just study for, you know, a year and now you're a master. Right. Yeah, it's it's a study of a lifetime, you know, for certain. And like any of those pursuits, you know, you the more you learn, the more you realize you have to learn, you know? Yes. Um, but yeah, sort of like yoga, you know, where it's like if it, if you integrate it in your life, it doesn't matter at what level, you're still getting this all these wonderful benefits from it. So because it comes from a folk art tradition, I would say the entry point to it is really, really quite accessible because you don't need to read music. You don't need to have, you know, any training. You can just come off the street kind of, you know, sort of, I, I, I always say it's kind of like bowling, like anyone can bowl. You may not be great at it, but you can still enjoy it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I kind of feel that way about taiko drumming. Like anyone can be come to taiko drumming and learn and enjoy it. But yeah, it, to, to really get deep into it, 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 it is a lifetime journey. 
for sure. Sure. Yeah, right. You know, I love what you're saying there. I remember the first time that I sat down at a drum set. It was a friend's drum set. And I was like, oh, can you teach me a little bit about drums? And he was like, yeah, okay. I've never done that. How would I teach you about drums? And he said, oh, okay. The first rule of drumming is have fun. And I was like, oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So it immediately loosened me up and I was like, okay, you know, like let's play. And of course he was an expert drummer who had been drumming since he was in high school and he was Uh still learning from all of his instruments. So I also love that idea that it's, um, that it's like a lifelong practice and you get comfortable Mm -hmm. with it, but you're all, but there's always still lessons to learn. And the community aspect, like, because you're performing with other people who are drumming on stage and that must feel also very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, there's nothing like, (laughs) I mean, I think it's true, but like when you bring people together and you do this shared activity and you have a shared passion, it's, it's just so life affirming and healing. And, you know, when actually the, it's interesting the the roots of taiko drumming. So historically, you know, thousands of years ago in Japan, traditionally, it was usually just one drummer and it was, um, it was often used for things like, um, in Shinto religious festival uh, uh, ceremonies and traditions. It was used in um, um, festivals with a bunch of dancers. Um, they would use it to talk to the gods, you know. And, and it was a modern reinvention of it to take it out of the shrines and festivals and put it on the stage. And when then they did that, they made it a drumming ensemble. Now that happened only like right after World War II. And part of the idea of that, it was like, healing their communities after, you know, a disastrous war um, and bringing people together. And so it became so popular now that taiko drumming as a performing ensemble is sort of like marching band in the U.S. You know, like every community has their own taiko drumming group. Wow. And when it came here to North America, it was in the late 60s, I think. So, you know, this is the time of the civil rights movement and just the birth of the concept of Asian America. And, you know, taiko drumming was such a good fit for sort of the, the newly um, activist sort of sansei generation, third generation Japanese Americans at the time really embraced it. And even though it wasn't necessarily directly political, it kind of like was birthed at this time of great political activism. So it's kind of in the DNA a little bit. But there's always been this idea of like drawing community together, drawing strength from, from each other, healing and sort of like drumming for, you know, for something more than just yourself, you know? Yeah, yeah, that makes so much sense, Jennifer. So how did the film come about, which is called Finding Her Beat, and it's going to be part of the Sound Unseen Film and Music Festival here in Austin, beginning November 3rd. You are the subject of the film and also a producer, is that right? Yes, yes. So how was this born? Well, it was born over lunch. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I met a good friend of mine. We've been friends for, you know, decades, Don Nicholson, which, who is the co-director of the film. And um, we were, you know, having lunch and talking about being moms and artists and talking about, you know, how hard it is to be a female in our respective fields. And, you know, I was telling her about this big concert idea that I had that I'm trying to um, make happen. And I'm like, oh, hey, would you be willing to to document the concert, you know, to film it for me. And she said, well, yes, but the more you talk about it, the more I think this is actually a film, you know, and she's like, and I think I know exactly how I would film it in this cinema verite style, which 
I didn't know at the time what that was, but that's basically where you let the cameras roll and what happens is your film, you know, the story emerges from the footage as opposed to you having a script and coming in and determining what is film. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I'm like, it's much harder, but it's just so much more organic, you know, of a way to let a story emerge. And I thought that was brilliant. And I'm like, yes, let's do it. Um, but I never thought, you know, honestly, uh, I never really knew for sure if we could pull it off just because it's so expensive and you, you know, you have to raise so much money and all the, all the little miracles that happen from that moment of lunch to the moment when the film finished um, to make it possible um, was sort of amazing. And uh, yeah, so she's been sort of this wonderful collaborator. And then she brought in Carrie Pickett that she knew from um, film fatales, a female filmmaker group that really has uh, is a great cinematographer, a great, um, has a great eye. And so together we became this sort of very collaborative, you know, group. And, you know, honestly, I thought, okay, you might need me to set up the film, you know, just because like I'm the director of the concert, whatever, but you're really going to focus on all these other amazing people. But as it turns out, I ended up being a larger part of the film than I, <laughs> than I intended, um, <laughs> which is both, you know, a little unnerving, but also a wonderful gift, you know? Sure. But yeah, it all started over lunch. That's what that's what I say. That's incredible. And I really I really get that feeling of like, well, wait, this wasn't just really going to be about me. And then I mean, it it must feel very weird. You know, you must feel very yeah. exposed in a way, Jennifer. Yeah, because, you know, when you when you put something on stage, you sort of crafting it for the stage when you let someone into your home, you know. Yeah. And you're sick and tired and sleeping and eating and it's a whole different thing. But just having the trust in Don and Carrie and because I know them and I know, you know, their values and their their uh, artistic vision. And I could just trust that they would take care of it. You know, they would they would tell the story. They would be respectful. They you know, we have the same values. I know I can trust them and have faith that they'll be able to do something even better than what I could imagine. You know, oh, on my own. yeah. Right. And what a challenge to, to film it in that style where you're like just letting the camera roll. And I would think that from an editing perspective, that would be that would be quite a challenge. Insane. Yeah, they had to they had over 200 hours of film. Wow. That they had to bring down to their 87 minutes. Yeah. So and part of that, you know, a lot of it was filmed um, with Japanese um, speaking characters. So, you know, Carrie, when she was filming, she's like, I just had to go on an instinct because I didn't know what they were saying, but I could tell that maybe it was important, you know? Right. And you can't stop the camera to say, was that important? What were you talking about? So she's like, I just tried to film as much as I could. And then we had to, you know, utilize um, a wonderful person, Hiroshi Yoshino, um, as a translator. So he had to translate all of this Japanese to English so they could figure out even what they had before they could then edit, you know, and then from there, you know, keep translating again and again. So it's been um, a huge endeavor. So how much time did it take start to finish? Billions of hours. <laughs> <laughs> I would say three years. Yeah. It's just an incredible undertaking. I mean, you know, from 200 hours of film down to what, an hour and a half ish. I mean, Yep, that's exactly. that's extraordinary. I don't even know how you begin to make those choices. Yeah, yeah, it's quite an art form, you know, and just watching the early drafts of the film to where it ended up, you know, um, in its final cut was 
was fascinating, you know, just the storytelling and the nuance and how you do that visually, how you do that, you know, with the soundtrack, how, you know, all of it. I'm just in such awe of the filmmakers. Yeah, yeah, I am too. And what an exciting topic. I mean, I think especially today, like, you know, you sharing of yourself, Jennifer, and your journey and what this experience has been for you. And you talked about healing, which is something that, you know, we need in the world so much. We need it all the time, but yeah. I think we need it yeah. now more than ever. And so to bring that experience to people who maybe have never even heard of, you know, taiko drumming, um, right. so that they could look at it and say, wow, you know, and they can relate to it in other ways or they can say, oh, man, maybe this is something that I that I want to build into my life. Yeah, I would love that, right? Like inspiring a whole new generation of taiko drummers. Wouldn't that be amazing? It would be amazing. And I could see it happening. I hope so. That'd be so awesome. I've been really, you know, both relieved and surprised. Like we've had some screenings um, across the country already. And, you know, for example, in in, um, Hot Springs, Arkansas, where folks, you know, some folks who have never heard of taiko and certainly never knew, you know, may not be connected to the Asian American community or anything like that. Um, but they responded so wonderfully um, to the film and could, you know, see themselves in that and be inspired by it. And, and I was just so relieved that it speaks. It's a very specific, but yet it, yet people can relate to it. And it kind of speaks to those larger things, you know, like healing and empowerment and finding your voice and, you know, being in the margins and, you know, all of those things um, people can relate to in a way that's both, engaging, inspiring, and entertaining. And I'm like, oh, thank God, because you never, you know, I'm too close to it to know myself, you know, like, is anyone going to like this? I don't know. But so, yeah, so getting that sort of outward validation now in the festival circuit has been so rewarding, too. Cool. I'm so glad to hear that. And I wonder if it isn't because of the universality of the feeling that people have when they listen to a drum, any drum. Right. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah, it gets you kind of in your core. I think in, it grabs you in the central column, whether you realize it or not, you know, but there is something a little bit mesmerizing about it. Yep. And when you bring something to someone and they've never seen it before, you know, that's a a new feeling altogether. And so to see that people are responding in this way, and I get it from your perspective, Jennifer, because you're like, hey, you know, I'm just this woman who digs drumming, like who's really going (laughs) to, you know, want to see this Uh or find it all that interesting. And I think that's another thing as women that we sort of like we take our experience and we discount it like it's just me. Right. But I think there's so much fascination around that it's just me because no Nobody has yet been exposed to all those elements. And so now in this film, Finding Her Beat, they're really going to understand a lot about your story. And they're definitely going to relate to it with parts of, of their own story. Yeah. And, you know, like just, you know, my daughter's in the film. And for me, growing up, you know, um, where uh, nothing in the media certainly not even in my own family did I see myself reflected anywhere. And that's changing, of course, today, you know, as, as everything's getting more diverse. But still, I would say I would be hard pressed to name a film where you could say there's not just one, but like dozens of strong Asian female characters. You know, yeah. like, when, when do I get to see that? And so it's just, you know, whether my daughter likes taiko drumming or not doesn't matter it's just like look you can see these women like kicking ass 
Right. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Yes. You know? Yes. Oh, I love that. Okay. So the Sound Unseen Film and Music Festival opens in Austin November 3rd. Finding Her Beat is actually on opening night. And if you want more information yeah. about this, soundunseen.com is the place to go to get all the details. Jennifer, is there anything else that you want people to know about the film Finding Her Beat or about the festival coming up? Well, I would say that we are going to have some live drumming in the theater before the film. So uh, uh, Kaminari Taiko from Houston is coming down. Um, so that's going to be very exciting. Uh, we're going to have a Q&A after. So, you know, you can ask questions to both uh, Carrie, one of the directors, and myself. And what I would just say is that we all need, at least I do, something to lift our spirits. And this is a film that really does that. I know sometimes with documentary films, it's, you know, they're all very important and passionate, but sometimes um, they're kind of a hard watch, you know, depending on the subject matter. But I would say that this, this film is, is really going to give you some, some good music, some good, some good vibrations and some good um, healing, I think. And it's going to be a good time. So I hope people come out and see it. Jennifer, thank you so much for spending some time with me and sharing all of this with us. Finding Her Beat opens November 3rd in Austin. And it has been such a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for your time, Jennifer. Same here. Thank you so much. You can attend the Austin screening of Finding Her Beat, November 3rd at 7.30 at AFS Cinema. Tickets are only $15. Or if that doesn't fit into your schedule, the film will also be available virtually for residents of Texas. You can get a virtual ticket at soundunseen.com. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Jennifer Weir. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe to the Julie Arts Podcast so you never miss an episode. If you want to hear more from Juliet, listen to Magic 95.5 weekday afternoons. She's on the air from noon to seven, keeping you company while you're at work or on that all too lengthy drive home.